Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Before we get onto the body of this podcast, I want to thank the sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite UltraFeed sewing machine. The UltraFeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. So over the last few weeks, I've had a variety of memories that I've made. Let me share a couple with you. If you recognize that bird, that's a crane. At the ranch, the summer home area, we've had over the oh, the last probably 10 years, a pair of cranes that comes back to the ranch every year. And when I drove up oh, a couple weeks ago to go in, even though there was still snow in the valley and it was a big marshland of water running off the mountains into the valley and into the river, the cranes were there. And they were close enough to the car that I could get out and with my iPhone, using voice memo, I was able to capture the sound of these two cranes. Right next to them were a couple of Canadian geese. Now, I, ha- not, I don't see Canadian geese at the ranch that often, but just like cranes, Canadian geese mate for life. So that was kind of fun. In addition, at the ranch, we saw a wolf track right by the house. I've never seen wolf at the ranch, so apparently the wolves have moved into the Uinta Mountains. They, uh, they've worked their way down from Yellowstone, and apparently there's a couple packs in, in the, well, in the, in the Uinta Mountains. This was a lone wolf track, just one really good track. I got a good photograph of it. I don't know if I'll post that or not. The one good paw track that I did, I put a measuring tape up against the uh, the track, and it was about five inches across by five inches long. So basically, it was a five-inch radius track. Big, big paws, big paws. So here's another memory I've created. <laughs> And here's another one. And here's another one. And one more.
Well, as you can see, there's a lot of background noise, and these were just recorded off my iPhone using uh, the voice memo application. And the quality's not there, but you get an idea. I was at the French Quarter Festival in New Orleans. Now, this is the first time I've ever attended it, and it's a oh, three-day event. Oh, I don't know how many stages are. There's around 20 stages, and each tw- each stage they have probably, during the full festival, about 20 bands that play. And so there is a plethora of music. And my wife and I went down there, attended the full French Quarter Festival. This is our first time, like I said. We stayed at the French Market Inn, which is right in the center of the festival, and had three days of music. The French Quarter Festival's set up as a free event, and it showcases the music talent of New Orleans and Louisiana musical groups. I met one of our listeners down there, Jim Odom, and he was playing in the band Louisiana Le Rue. Jim, of I, Jim and I have corresponded back and forth a few times. He also owns a company that makes audio equipment, and I own actually some of his equipment called Presonus Corporation. I invited Jim to go sailing with me, and, and he's not sure if he'll be able to do it. He thinks he would bring his brother with him, if he does come, so I'm still waiting to hear from him. I've got about half of my crew. I have seven separate crews this summer where I invite two additional people to go sailing with me. And we are about half fully booked. And uh, I've reached out to some people, and I haven't heard back from them. Also, as you heard, I invited Rory McDougal, and he hasn't confirmed whether he's going to be coming with me or not. He would he would be joining the crew where Neil Fletcher and I will be sailing. And that will be from Patmos up to Heraclea, over to Tinos, maybe down to Mykonos. We'll see what we have in time, how much we can do. So that's what I've been up to. For this coming week, I'll be working at the ranch, probably doing some podcasts at the ranch. I need to catch up with Jack Andrews again, and I've reached out to Dan Culpepper a couple times because Dan's got a story to tell about his sailing last summer, but Dan hasn't gotten back to me. So, Dan, if you're listening to this still, drop me an email. Let me know if I can talk to you about your sailing in Italy this last summer. All right. If you want to support the podcast, it's at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, backslash medsailor.com. And I have all sorts of rewards in there. One of the rewards I'm hoping somebody will take advantage of, and that will be the reward where for the for the patronage, you would be one of the list of the group of people in that reward that gets invited to go sailing with me. Since there are no <laughs> since there are no Patreons at that level yet. Uh, if you sign up for that, you'd pretty much be guaranteed to go sailing with me this summer. Also, if you like the podcast, go into iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen to the podcast in and write a positive review. I did get one review, and let me go find that for you, because he brought out a point that I'd already been thinking of, and I'm going to follow his advice. Let me go find it here. This is from Tom Locker, and he posted it March 31st. 
He says, I love listening to this podcast, and Franz has a great voice and good delivery. I do wish that he would label the episodes better. Everyone has the same file name, author's name, title name, and album name. This makes it really hard to tell what you're going to be listening to before you start. I often find that I will start an episode I've already listened to and suspect that I've accidentally deleted ones since I can't tell them apart in a file manager on my MP3 device. Tom, I noticed that too. And I've I've started listening the podcast by episode and the number first before it was sailing in the Mediterranean and beyond episode number so-and-so. But you could never get to the episode number when you're just looking at your iPhone. So I agree with you, Tom, and, I'd, and I've actually started implementing that. I think this is going to be the second podcast where I've implemented the new titling of it. So it'll start out with episode number and then sailing in the Mediterranean and beyond. Uh, and then the the subject of the podcast. So hopefully that'll help alleviate the problem. All right, we got some letters from listeners I need to respond to. I got an email from Brad Harley. He said, good morning. I heard you mentioned that you want some technical help. Happy to give you some time. I'm not a web designer, but I have a technical background. As an aside, the contact button on your website is broken. I sent you a LinkedIn invite if you're wondering who the work me is. Uh, Brad, when I was troubleshooting the RSS feed, I deactivated all the plugins for a short period of time, and that contact form plugin is one that I, well, deactivated. It took literally a week to figure out what was wrong with my RSS feed. And it came down to something that's always simple once you figure it out. But troubleshooting the problem took me about a week and a lot of headaches. So that was part of the process of trying to figure out what was causing the problems with my RSS feed. I sent you an email with my phone number. I don't write very long emails when I respond. I usually say I'll answer them in a podcast. But Brad, give me a call and we'll see if there's anything you can help me with. I really appreciate you volunteering. I'm not sure if I have work for you, but we can talk about it. And then this was posted on the Facebook page and also emailed me directly. Jen, I won't say her last name, said, Hi, Franz. My name is Jen. My husband's name is Jim, and he grew up sailing on the East Coast. When we moved to the San Francisco Bay Area three years ago, Jim jumped into the sailing scene. He took the ASA 101, 103, and 104, and started doing some casual racing. He also joined a sailing club, and we often rent boats for overnight trips in the bay, where he's taught me a bit of sailing. In May 2016, we chartered a 34-foot boat in Greece and went to Kithnos, Seraphos, Naxos, Mykonos, Delos, Syros, and Kia. It was truly the trip of a lifetime. I've enjoyed it so much that I took the ASA 101 last November. At the same time, Jim took the 114. Our first Greek charter was so fun that we're heading back again this May. We're planning on chartering out of Paros and hopefully hit up some islands in the southern Cyclades. Our tentative itinerary includes Eos, Santorini, Milos, and possibly Sifnos. 
After our charter, we're planning to spend three days on Crete to relax and explore. If you have any advice or suggestions for these islands or this area, would love to hear them. We just got our own copy of the Greek Waters Pilot. One little different detail of this trip is I'll be 27 weeks pregnant with our first baby, so we won't be doing scooters or steep rocky hikes, but we intend to rent cars and do some hiking. Our doctor has given us the arc clear for the trip, so we're excited. We found your podcast last year during the preparation for our first charter. Yesterday, while driving home from Tahoe, we listened to the episodes with the Drogan Brothers. They were fantastic. Thanks so much for all the great content and advice. Sincerely, Jen. And then you wrote me back another email, and I couldn't find it when I was looking for this, but then you asked me about, um, because of your pregnancy, uh, you weren't sure if you should eat the feta cheese over there and if I knew how it was processed. Well, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, but when I was in Liros uh, a couple of years ago, I went to a grocery store and uh, they just brought in some cheese. And I was asking the lady at the front, I said, who makes this cheese? Said, oh, my husband makes this cheese or, or our friend makes this cheese. And it's a, it's a, the, almost all the cheeses are raw milk cheeses. And they taste fantastic. And I'm not sure if the feta you'd buy in a grocery store is going to be raw milk or pasteurized. Uh, I would check into that. We cannot, in the United States, get raw milk cheese because our government's protecting us from ourselves. Regulations, regulations, regulations. And (laughs) I'm not going to go down that path. So uh, the the cheeses you get in Europe are artisan cheeses. Small com- small farmers make their own cheese, and they are fantastic. I've never gotten sick from cheese. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go down that path. All right. Now, on to your question on Peros, uh, Santorini, Milos, and Sifnos. So from Paros, I'm not sure if you're going to be starting at Nausa, N-A-O-U-S-A, which is on the north end of the island, or out of the town harbor of Paros. I think you're going to be out of the town harbor of Paros, which I've spent a week in. And um, it's, it's okay. It's not very enjoyable. So the first thing I would do is head up to the north end of Paros and go to Nausa. And it's a delightful little town. It's really pretty. So I would leave the, uh, the, the harbor of Peros and just go around the corner, up around the top, the north end, and spend some time in Nausa before you go on any farther than that. And you might spend two or three days there. That's a delightful little place. And I don't like to tell people about it because it's getting more and more crowded. I once met a woman that was on a yoga vacation, and she was staying in one of the the little pensions or hotels, and they were having yoga instruction all day long. It's a popular, popular town for tourists, and there's a reason for it. It's one of my favorite spots to go. So from Paros, um, you can go around the upward corner, the north east corner of Paros and then go down the channel between Naxos and Paros and you'll have a nice downwind run 
to Eos. Now, the main harbor of Eos is um, designed for young people. The music really doesn't even start till around 1 in the morning. Uh, there's a ferry port there, and the ferries are coming in and going out all the time. Uh, You've got to be careful when you're dropping your anchor there because I think they have a big chain across there that you can snag your anchor on, and you'll end up paying a guy... Well, as the Drogan brothers said, you heard those episodes. They'll uh, they'll hit you for a hundred hundred fifty euros to get it cleared. So you might want to be careful. There's a key there, and if you drop on the outside, that's where you're going to grab the chain. On the inside, you may be okay, but uh, be careful when you go into Eos Town. Now, I prefer if I'm going to go to Eos. I don't. I've been to the town. The techno music doesn't do anything for me. Uh, but there's a nice harbor down on the south end of Eos, which is just a nice, nice protected harbor from the prevailing winds. And that's where I would go if I were going down there. Uh, you'll find it on the pilot. There's also another little harbor um, sort of on the southwest side uh, but I haven't been in there. There's a big harbor around the south side that there's plenty of places to anchor in there. And that's where I would be headed. I wouldn't be going into the town of Eos. The town of Eos doesn't have any charm as far as I'm concerned. Then from there, it's just a straight hop down to Santorini. Going through the caldera, it'd be... Oh, it's 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 fantastic sailing through the caldera. You're coming in the north end. You can go right by the town around the island and then out the west side. And then you'll, if you're going to the marina, you'll come around the south side of Santorini and uh, there's a marina around the south side. Get in there fairly early. It fills up every day now. But as you're approaching the marina, watch your navigation. There's an old uh, submerged seawall just off the coast there. You have to be careful with with your navigation. It'll be marked on your charts just make sure you're not putting the boat on autopilot and not paying attention when you do that. Well, from there, it's going to be a long hop to get over to Milos in one day. So you're going to be coming back up through and probably up to Seknos for a night. And then if you have a long day, you might be able to get all the way to Milos. Uh, there's also another couple islands there that I haven't been to, and I think I mentioned that in my route planning, because that was originally what I planned on doing, was going from Santorini uh, over to Milos. So you might go back and listen to that episode on route planning, where I talk about going from Santorini over to Milos. And then from Milos, Sifnos, Seraphos, um, I didn't find the main harbor of Sifnos to be particularly appealing. I would, if I had to cut out an island, uh, that's one I would cut out. It's It's got an anchorage in there, and it's secure anchorage, but it really didn't have much charm, at least on the waterfront. And I've never rented a scooter and ridden around on Sifnos. So if you were to cut out one island, that would probably be the one I'd cut out. Seraphos, on the other hand, I've spent a Meltemian Seraphos, and that's, that, that's a delightful little island. 
there's a big harbor there that's protected. You can anchor in it or tie up to the key. There's a bus that'll take you up to the Cora, which you can see right from the harbor. It's right up the hill from the harbor. And I've never rented a scooter except I've taken the bus up to the Cora. You can find some other anchorages on this island. There's another one over to the west near a little town called Vagia, V-A-G-I-A. I've never anchored in that harbor, but you could. And then there's another one just around the corner, uh, which has got a lot of beach umbrellas that you could go to as well. But I'd probably just stick with going to the main harbor. It's called Lavadi. L-I-V-A-D-I is the name of the town. And then back to Poros. And that would be a great trip. I wouldn't go to Kithnos. Well, Kithnos is, um, I mean, there's just no vegetation at all. It looks like a true desert island on Kithnos. And I've only been to one anchorage on the west side of Kithnos, way up uh, by a town called Apox, A-P-O-K-R-I-S-I. And it was, you know, crystal clear water, protected anchorage, but kind of boring. Uh, maybe one to Vernon Shore. I've never, I've, I've taken the ferry into the main town, but I've never anchored anywhere except on that that anchorage on the north. The main town might be a little more interesting. I've taken a ferry in there, and uh, you might want to do that. So that's all the advice I have for you on that. I got one more email from Alex. Alex said, I was just listening to your latest podcast, 136, and enjoyed it as always. One of the things you mentioned was the possibility of packaging and selling your older podcasts for new listeners who might be interested. Several podcasts do this already, including Hardcore History, one of my favorites as well. The long wait between episodes kills me, though. Yeah, but the research that Dan Carlin does for each of those episodes is amazing. Each one of those episodes is a PhD thesis. Anyway, WTF is another. I'm sure there are many others. I had tried listening to WTF, and it didn't do much for me. But it does for a lot of people. It's a pretty popular podcast. If you pursue this, I recommend you look into grouping your multi-part episodes together. I think it would be an attractive offer to folks like me who started listening late and listened to the fifth Rory McDougall first and then had to go back to find the first four. Your ongoing series on fiberglassing is another example. Many of these multi-part storylines are not released consecutively for various reasons, but folks might be able to pay so they can have them all together. I hope your summer home is making good progress and wraps up on time and budget. Yeah, I can usually get one of these two to happen, rarely both. Yeah. Alex. Alex, good suggestion. I hadn't thought of that uh, because it does take a little more time. Maybe what I'll do is I will put those multi-part episodes uh, together and then just go back and just do from episodes one and so forth. So there might be a few of them. Haven't got around to it. Everything takes time. I've got limited time. Let's get on to the final episode with Rory McDougall. I'm back with Rory McDougall. I'm not sure what episode this is, Rory, but the last time we talked, we we had just uh, sailed to Sicily. You had, you had just sailed to Sicily, and you were uh, just 
west of Palermo in the Golfo del Castellamari and recovering with your former crewmate, Toto. So let's start there and continue however far we get today. Okay then, Franz. Yeah, yeah. No, this is a this is a great trip down memory lane, and um, I'm quite excited uh, going through some of these memories again. Um, yeah, while I was there with Toto, I think I said last time I was just recovering from the efforts of sailing solo up the Red Sea, and then getting um, pretty much uh, two thirds of the way across the Med, and uh, battling all the calms and headwinds as I went. So yeah, I was I was very I think I think it had just taken it uh, right out of my system, so it was the tonic I needed to spend time ashore with Toto and and get away from the sea for a little bit, get away from Cookie and just spend some time on his farm. And I met some really lovely uh, lovely folks there. In fact, I was starting to fall in love with a couple of the lovely maidens there ashore in um, in Sicily. And uh, and I guess if I didn't have my stubborn streak of finishing what I started. As far as the adventure on Cookie, then I'd probably still be there today. <laughs> but um, but I, I had that stubborn streak. I needed to needed to finish what I started. So um, I took off again uh, from from Casa de Mare. Um, about the I think it was about the 12th of July. Looking back at the logbook, um, and uh, and headed off towards uh, pretty much go, trying to go straight towards Gibraltar, and uh, and get the capricious med behind me and now now this is what year we're talking now this is uh look at the uh, captain's log this is star date 1970 19, 19, <laughs> 1997 all right <laughs> that was the um, year i sailed across the atlantic so we probably crossed paths oh okay yeah all right yeah and probably you were coming down the coast of uh of europe as i was, I was heading up eh yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, t- I took off for uh, for um, Gibraltar, and uh, we had I think we had some good easterlies for a, for a short spell, and we got to, we got to sight the Balearics. I, I pretty much had um, Mallorca, I think, off the uh, off the starboard bow, and then the wind went uh, went round to the west again. So we ended up tacking our way down towards the coast of uh, Spain, the Costa del Sol, and getting around Cabo Gata. Um, and about a week later, after being becalmed a bit uh, on the approaches to the Straits of uh, Straits of Gibraltar, uh, we were becalmed in the shipping lanes. It was a bit undaunting. And uh, then we had a westerly set in, so I just hauled the sails tight, got her on a windward tack uh, on port tack, and just started to head up towards the uh, Spanish coast again and see how far we could get. And uh, lo and behold, we got to a... Um, we got to Benel Medina. Benadorm, and, huh? Uh, That's what I is it Benadorm? Yeah. yeah. So you skipped over is, you uh, skipped over uh you know all these great spots to stop. Sardinia and the Balearics. You just went straight. You were uh, in a hurry, yeah. weren't you? I was uh, I was kind of on a mission to as I said, I'd I'd already teed up a date to uh to have a crew meet me in Gibraltar. Ah, and this okay. guy that uh, was through the Polynesian Catamaran Association network. So, so I had a date that I'd sort of given him and written to him. And uh, so I had a bit of a time schedule to get to uh, Gibraltar. Um, and to be honest, the, the big picture was also that there was a, a big 
Polynesian catamaran uh, meeting going on in the southwest UK down in sort of Plymouth and later on that summer in August. So, uh, you know, in, in a, I had a bit of a time pressure to try and make it to that because obviously I would be the the highlight of their meeting and their event if uh, if I sort of coincided my my round the world arrival back at the same time. So yes, I did have a bit of um, bit of a need to sort of wriggle on and make some miles. Um, so yeah, I got to uh, got to Benidorm and uh, didn't go into the marina, but uh, with a westerly, the marina sticks out from shore and creates quite a nice little lee in behind. So I anchored in about chest deep water with people swimming all around me and that sort of thing. <laughs> and I. Um, Pumped up the dinghy, went ashore, and had my beer and fish and chips for the night, <laughs> as as you do when you're on passage. And uh, then I had a good night's sleep, and then carried on the next morning <laughs> along the coast of Spain. <laughs> now I'm I'm, a... I'm looking at this. Now this is near Alicante. Am I thinking of the same place, just just up from Alicante? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, a few a few miles to the east of uh, Malaga. Yeah. Quite a few miles to the east of Malaga, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, yeah, I just spent the night there, had had my fish and chips, as I said. Uh, and then next morning, closing the coast again, even when there's calms, of course, you get a little, little bit of the, um, the land breeze and sea breeze effect. So from there on in, I kind of, the, the, the bay or the coastline does quite a sweep until uh, Gibraltar sort of sticks right out uh, um, on its on its limb to the south, but instead of heading straight for Gibraltar across the bay, I kind of kept uh, closer into the shore, about a mile or two off, just um, to try and sort of make sure I kept in the land and sea breeze um, effects. But also, it gave me the chance to just sort of have a little look at the um, the land as I sailed by, because uh, it's always a bit more interesting when you've got something to to see and 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 sight as you sail along. Now, when I could, when I was there, and that would have been in '97, Benidorm um, was was a big development, a big, massive concrete development. Was it? Was that the? Uh, I mean, it seemed to be a, a vacation spot for the Brits, for the most part. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. A lot of that coast. I think Torremolinos is another town um, nearby as well. Big, big towns with lots of big. Um, I think timeshare and and uh, big apartment blocks and that sort of thing and lo- lots of partying going on for sure. Um, <laughs> very very opposite to what we uh, we like to see at, at uh, out out on the ocean, hey? Uh, world worlds apart uh, for sure. So um, yeah yeah. Uh, so heading down across there, it took me another few days uh, and I sort of drifted into uh, into. Um, Gibraltar, which is again, I really felt like a big milestone with with a lot of these, um, sort of, uh, uh, I guess, geographical positions that I sailed past, like going through uh, Panama Canal, through the Suez Canal, going through, um, getting to um, Gibraltar was like a, a big milestone. The Med was now behind me. Now, and, now, as you're uh, working your way down the coast, were you stopping overnight, or were you just sailing all day and all night to get down the coast? Where what were you doing? Yeah, just sailing all day and all night. Okay. Uh, you know, just um, keep it on the keep it on the wind vane, but always just keeping an eye and keeping the alarm set to wake up uh, fairly regularly. Because of course, you know, only a few miles offshore, you don't want to be going to sleep for too long. 
in case the wind changes. So, yeah, just keeping a pretty good lookout as well. And uh, I was out of shipping lanes at this point, but, of course, you get the local traffic, fishing boats, and, uh, you know, in the daytime, some tourist boats and people running around and power boats and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I had to, had to keep uh, pretty watchful um, and catnap along the way. So you were on a mission yeah. then, it sounds like. So you were, you were working your way on... down a, a you know, pretty – what I would take three months to do, you were doing in a week. So. Well, that's it. Yeah, it wasn't really at this stage. It was, it was mainly a, 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 a drive to, to, to get the miles behind me and, uh, and try and get back up to the U.K. before, um, before uh, this uh, meeting was uh, held. And um, sort of going in some ways, Franz, uh, I, I look back on the voyage and uh, and I think, well, there was a lot of places that would have been nice to have stopped and uh, and enjoyed along the way. But I think by sailing Cookie and, and enduring some of the trials and, and hardships aboard, um, she wasn't really the kind of boat to just sort of really take your time and and enjoy um, all of the all of the sights along the way. Because life aboard, you know, I wouldn't say it was uncomfortable all the time, but it wasn't the most comfortable. And so, therefore, I think it, it, it helped to keep the, uh, the, the challenge, to keep the, the goal in focus um, and, and give, give it, uh, you know, the time aboard, you, you make it um, worthwhile and uh, have, a, have a definite purpose. You know, I've met quite a few people, that just, you know, single-handers that I'd meet along the way and ask them, so where, where are you going next? And, and a lot of them would have this fairly glazed look on their face and have a vague sort of um, answer of like, I don't know, man, and wherever the wind blows me next, that's where I'm going. <laughs> and, and as a fired up young man with a very, very specific goal and, and purpose in mind, I, I found it quite hard to sort of um, uh, get on the same wavelength as that. And, and I think on, on, board cookie i couldn't adopt that uh, i couldn't adopt that then and i couldn't adopt it now to just have that sort of um very indefinite uh, open-ended schedule and uh, and direction because um you know the boat wasn't really that comfortable to sort of think that i could you know spend my days or or hole up in in a place like brazil for a few years and that sort of thing if I had a bigger boat, it probably would have been a you know a different story and a different voyage anyway. Yeah, you're sort of like camping out all the time on your boat. I mean, it's it, you know in even rough camping conditions, it's sort of the way I would uh, envision it. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, when it gets rough, uh, anything above a force four, of course, um, <laughs> for cookie, then uh, then yeah, you're, you're living wet. Uh, you're, you're damp and. You're just trying to minimize the amount of water that gets below. Uh, but any any foray out on deck, you get damp and wet, and, and just just down below, sitting in your little cocoon, then uh, you know it's damp as well at times. And and so yes, it was kind of like um, like on an extended hike up in the hills and up in the mountains, where you're living in a tent every day or every night, and then you sort of uh, you're, you're you're you've got a purpose, you've got a, you've got places to get to. And it's not exactly comfortable. It's not like your five-star um, Benidorm resort <laughs> that you're staying at. You're actually on a hike, um, so it's like a it's like an adventure holiday. 
that you, that you don't want it. You don't want it to be never ending. You want to see a sort of a, a an end to it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You, so you so you made it to Gibraltar. Then did you stop in Gibraltar at least? Yeah. Yeah. I. I there's very little place or, or opportunity to anchor really in Gibraltar, and plus I needed to meet up with Malcolm. Um, Whitehead, who was, uh, you know, this chap that was coming out from the UK. So I booked into uh, Queensway Key Marina, and uh, within a couple of days, uh, Malcolm flew in, and, uh, and then we uh, got to know each other well. He was uh, an ex ex army chap and uh, a bit older than me, but um, he was looking to build himself a uh, a larger Warham cat in the future. So he was really keen to get good experience. Of being out out at sea on a on a small worm, especially, and just to see how the boat went and uh, and soak up as much of uh, the experience as he could on our journey up to the UK. So, so it was great. Uh, it was great to have Malcolm and and some company back uh, aboard again, and uh, and also a lot of help in the point of view of watchkeeping and keeping an eye out while I slept. So, no, it's going to be good. We seem to get off uh, on the right foot and and hit it off. Uh, um, within the first, um, well, well, as soon as we met, really, similar sense of humor and uh, good wavelength. So we spent a few days in, in Gibraltar. I had um, a contact to um, to go and see. Some friends of my folks uh, had settled in Gibraltar uh, years ago, and they, they had actually a Tiki 21 cat as well. So we were invited for dinner and got to um, got to chat about uh, stories and all that sort of thing and get a bit more local, uh, local knowledge of the area. And... Um, and then it was time to stick some stores aboard, some food again, and uh, and get going. Looking at the forecast, we were in for some uh, some easterlies at least to start with uh, when we left Gibraltar. And so we took off about uh, I think about 25th of July, uh, thir- no 30th of July. So right at the end of July, we took off from um, from Gibraltar and uh, and had a good old sort of easterly blowing out through the straits there about four six. So we were surfing away like crazy and. Malcolm got to see uh, how a cookie can perform and, and have lots of fun. So we made good miles up the coast, and uh, we ended up going just near to Cadiz. There's a little uh, little place called Sancti Petri, which is like a type of... Let me ask you, as you're going out through the Straits of Gibraltar, there's a constant mm-hmm. current coming into the Mediterranean, surface current coming into the Mediterranean because of the difference in salinity of the uh, top layer and the density of the lower layer. So you go down a couple hundred feet, there's a constant outcurrent. So the top current is coming in and the outcurrent is going huh? out. And did you have a uh, pretty, because you're going to be going contrary to the, uh, to the waves, was it pretty rough getting out through the Straits of Gibraltar? Um, no, no. As it was, we had a easterly winds behind us. Yeah, so you're blowing um, against so the current. The wind's blowing against the against current. The current. So, it was. Yeah. It was quite. You know, there was a. There was a lot of good breakers. Uh, I look back at the photos of us that first day because, of course, first day Malcolm's on board and he was out there with his camera snapping away. So we got quite a lot of good photos of Cookie surfing along um, with some good um, good white caps around and around Tarifa. We kept fairly close in all the big. Um, Windmills, you know the um, the sorry the wind uh, wind generators up on the hill, whirring round. There was wind surfers buzzing out from the shore backwards and forwards. So we were keeping fairly close to the northern um, coast there, um, 
and also I, I we didn't have far to go before we were going to go and pull in. I think we sailed uh, we sailed that day, sailed overnight, and got got into uh, Sancti Petri the next day. And again, we had a contact through the Warham Polynesian Cat Association of another guy, a Spanish guy in Sancti Petri that uh, owned a Tiki Twenty One, and um, we put in touch with him. So we we went to pay him a visit and go and um, go and have a day or two. Uh, catching up with them and sharing stories and getting to know the area a little bit because Sancti Petri. So you went past the stri- the uh, point of Trafalgar then. So you, it was north yes, of we- Trafalgar. Yeah. So do you think of, uh, of Nelson as you sailed by there? <laughs> Indeed. Of course we did. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, so we, we, we headed up to, uh, to this place. It was quite an interesting, uh, Sancti Petri is like a tidal Tidal Lagoon is quite shallow um, up up in the upper reaches there, but um, it's quite a lot of wildlife sanctuary up there and kayaking trips and that sort of thing uh, that go on. So we we got a good good feel for the place through uh, our uh, our hosts, Santi and Esther, and uh, they sailed up the coastline. When we did leave, we they sailed about uh, ten miles along with us in company before they ended up turning back and, and heading back for port. So you know those those sorts of things were really nice. It was quite nice to be part of this um, association, uh, the network, because um, they worked hard at keeping people in contact and um, you know, putting people in touch with each other, which was, uh, which was pretty neat. Now, I'm looking at Santi Petri on Google Earth, and, uh, yeah, it looks like it's a, a mar- sort of a marshland. How shallow is it? Could a five-foot draft boat get up there, or is it too shallow for that? Um, you can. There's a there's a definite channel going through because there's a bit of a port area. I think some ferries pull in there, um, just at this sort of the main entrance. There's sort of I think a a dredge channel uh, there, which is pretty deep. And as you as you go up the dredge channel, there's deep water moorings uh, at least on one side on memory back then. And then when you get up into the upper reaches, there's quite a lot of multi hulls because it is a lot shallower up there. And um, first night we went in, of course, we, um, we learned very quickly that as the sun was going down, we were just putting the boat to bed. I think we were anchoring and just sort of sorting the deck out. And suddenly we felt like a pincushion because the mosquitoes just yeah, <laughs> yeah. descended on us. So we just literally for that sort of half an hour as the sun set and we just disappeared down below and, and, and you know, heard all of the uh, 747 buzzing outside with these massive mosquitoes and then <laughs> once the sun had gone down it was a bit more um, approachable to go out and finish putting the thing put, putting the boat to bed and getting the deck tent up and all that kind of stuff um so yeah quite marshy up there that's for sure okay yeah it looks like uh i had that same experience when i went up to Sevilla. i went through the 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 uh lock that takes you into Sevilla and I pulled into a marina and I was by myself and I've been up uh, well basically two nights getting there sailing from Portugal over went to bed yeah. and suddenly I'm hearing these <laughs> the nest you cannot sleep with that now that noise around your ears <laughs> no 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 if you're like me you have to you have to put the light on and hunt them down for sure <laughs> yeah <clears throat> Indeed. So, uh, so yeah, no, it was a um, good sailor. We, uh, from there, we were basically planning to get as far as we could. And from Sancti Petri, we, we, we sailed around Faro, 
um, across the border and now into, into Portugal. And there were big sand dunes uh, on memory off, off the coast around Faro. Um, kept going through there. We, we kind of started to get sort of northerly and north, uh, north uh, westerlies a uh, little bit in this sort of area. So we're kind of um, making as good progress as we can. And then along that sort of coast, we, um, we then, uh, I think a couple of days later, we pulled into Sagres just on the, um, the tip there, Cape St. Vincent, I believe, on the, um, on the sort of southwest corner of, uh, of Portugal. And we pulled into there and uh, ended up having, a, uh, I think, a, at least one night uh, off from the routine of <laughs> trimming the boat to windward. So, yeah, and it was quite nice in there. We went uh, up into the town, went to the market, and, um, and got some good fresh fruit and veggies and went uh, up to the lighthouse to get a good lookout. I mean, I had a good walk. And, um, and so, yeah, we were just sort of trying to plug away, always mindful of, uh, of this sort of slight deadline to meet. So um, poor old Malcolm, it wasn't going to be much of a, uh, a pleasure cruise and stopping off on the way, but we had miles to make. But he was pretty, he was pretty happy with that. As I said, he wanted to get the experience of really what the Warrens were all about at sea and life aboard. So we, we headed off, I think, only after about a day uh, or day, day or so of uh, stop at uh, Sagres and then into a north, pretty much a northerly down the, um, down the coast there and um, battled our way up the coast. And uh, I think it only took us about two, three days. But then we got to Cascais um, just by, you know, by Lisbon. And finally there, now that was, again, another milestone for me personally and, and for Cookie because we were finally crossing our outward track from six years before because, of course, we, we pulled into uh, Cascais before uh, heading out to, um, we headed out to Madeira from there. We didn't go any further south. So coming up the coast, that's where we finally crossed our outward leg and we finally tied the knot. We'd actually um, pretty much circumnavigated at that point. That must have felt yeah. really great to achieve that. Did you feel, I mean, did you have a celebratory drink or anything? I mean, did, uh, that's a big deal. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we, went, out to, we went out into town that night uh, in Cascades. We had a bit of, um, bit of work to do on the boat. Some of the sails were chafing. So we spent the afternoon, I think, uh, once we pulled in, we got some laundry done and we got uh, got the sails um, hand sewn up again um, the big jib needed um, needed a few uh, few repairs on the seams and uh, then that night yeah we went ashore found a bar with a pool table and uh, sank a few beers and yeah basically toasted toasted the uh, the success of cookie to, to make it around the world yeah so, uh, it is it is it is you know it's, it's a momentous um, momentous feeling inside um for sure you know it's, it's, it's not just the sort of feeling of having done it but it's all those years previous to that of all the dreaming and all of the uh the trying to put together the uh the whole um adventure the whole plan and uh, and all of the years it takes to scheme and and uh get the thing off the ground so no it was um i guess uh, it was uh, seven eight years of my life uh, getting to that point and so it felt absolutely, um, well, just uh, just magical inside for sure. It's the way I felt when I passed through the Straits of Gibraltar. You know, it's exactly the way I felt. I thought, oh wow, I finally made it. You know, it's uh, 
it, it's it's hard to describe. I mean, I've, people have their own personal goals, and when they achieve them, it, you know, it's a bit of a pat on your back you can give yourself. So that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and that's it. It's a real, I guess, is a is a, is a feeling of satisfaction inside is is the big <clears throat> thing. I mean, I obviously had, <clears throat> excuse me, years ago, you know, in in um, the Miami Boat Show when I was there having a booze and trying to drum up some uh, interest to get sponsored for my initial um, you know, uh, beach cat round the world endeavor. Um, and all of the naysayers that were, were very skeptical or rest of it um, to me inside, it was just very much um, satisfaction and a little bit of a sense of, I guess smugness is a bit too sort of um, self but it was a, a little bit of a smug feeling that, you know, well, hey, you know, all those people that didn't believe it could be done or or weren't quite um, sort of, uh, um, what's the word, trustful of, of, of what I, you know, what I said I can do and all the rest of it. There was a, there was a slight feeling of smugness, I must admit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we, again, we only took a couple of days in cash case before, uh, before the good old... Uh, pressure of the deadlines uh, loomed again and uh, so we took off again you have to head uh, okay so you arrived at cash case on what date that was where you crossed your path what day was it and how many how many days was it to get for you to go all the way around the world did you ever calculate that out um yeah i did a fact sheet uh, for for one of the um polynesian cat um, association um newsletters <clears throat> Excuse me. And I mean, if I look back on it um, in real terms of, of actual voyaging, I was actually voyaging for I think, two years and three months of actual time, you know, because obviously I spent quite a lot of time in New Zealand, actually stopped and and uh, and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, two years and, and three months was was the sort of voyaging time. Of, um, of being on the go and pulling into harbors and that sort of thing, going around the world. But uh, in actual days of, of sailing at sea, I think it was about a, a hundred days. No, 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 not a hundred days. Three hundred days. Three hundred days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A hundred days would be a bit, bit, bit too speedy. Yes. Yeah, that'd like be really that. fast. Yeah. That'd be that's that's up there with the uh, yeah Vendée Globe type thing. That isn't. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Um, let's have a look at the date here. I got my logbook out. Um, I think, um, yeah, it was on the August the sixth, which is interesting because I think that's pretty much the uh, the date that I left England um, six years previously. It kind of rings a bell. Yeah, so I think it was pretty much um, almost to the to the day that. Um, that, uh, that that took yeah so about August the sixth I was down in the, in, in cash case yeah um, yeah yeah well we um, we were heading north again basically and uh, we headed into uh, northwesters again to get around the uh, the point there around um, on the coast of uh, cash case but uh, it wasn't long I think before, by the time we got up to the area of Figueira de Foz that sort of thing, we were tacking up the long beach. And uh, then finally the wind started to shift around and we actually got a, a real respite. We got a small, you know, fairly mild um, depression come through. 
So by the time we got up to uh, Porto, we were actually uh, in in light southerlies. And we spent the whole night uh, in kind of misty, gray, drizzly weather, but just uh, making miles very easily to the north, which was quite rare, really, for us, especially up the um, up the coast of Europe at that time of year. The northeasterlies can get quite uh, boisterous, um, you know, once the sort of trade wind uh, almost pattern sort of sets in. So, again, you know, poor old Malcolm didn't get to see many of the uh, nice ports on the way because we were just... Um, Using using up uh, the southerlies to gobble up the miles, so we ticked off um, Porto. Then we got to past Bayona, and then we got up to Finisterre, and uh, we were still in fairly fairly good weather. I think we're starting to sort of come around a little bit northerly again once we got to Finisterre. But again, it wasn't rough, whereas it could get uh, you know very um, very choppy. Thirty knots is uh, is 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 almost like a daily occurrence around Finisterre. There's good sort of wind channeling because there's quite high hills there. So we uh, we went round there and uh, then headed to Rio Camarinas, which is about, uh, I think, about sort of 15 miles around the corner, heading um, sort of east-northeast from Finisterre. It's uh, one of the rias, one of the big inlets on the north coast of Spain there. And so we, we headed for there because that was obviously going to be our last port before before heading across Biscay. Um, up to the uh, up to the UK and up to the Scilly Islands. So, so Rio Camarinas, we pulled in there on a really grey, misty morning, and uh, and went straight ashore and headed for the nearest big breakfast place. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a nice fry up of eggs and bacon and and uh, and Spanish sausage and that sort of thing. It was brilliant. <laughs> So poor old Malcolm didn't get to see much of uh, Spain, but I gave him a slap up breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, and so now we were getting pretty close. I mean, this was, uh, I guess, the uh, the second week of uh, of, uh, of August, and um, I think the the um, PCA meeting was going to be about the twenty fifth of uh, of August, that sort of thing. So uh, we were kind of keeping on track, but as long as we kept uh, kept the miles rolling over, we weren't uh, we weren't too far from uh, from getting to this big meeting in Plymouth. Um, so so again, we didn't have long. We didn't have much time ashore. We had time to to meet a couple of uh, of the other cruisers in the harbour, and um, and we got some gas in our gas bottle. And uh, actually, no, we didn't. We were using. By this stage, we're actually using um, the little camping um, cooker, you know, the, the single burner camping cooker with the, the, the arms fold out and you've just got the one little bottle, the disposable bottle that the hikers use. We were using those because um, my gas bottles uh, that I had on the boat, the bayonet fitting was uh, different in Europe than, than, than I had. It was a... Um, I think I must have picked up a, a, a bottle in New Zealand that, um, that had a different fitting. So in the end, going up uh, through Lisbon and, uh, and these sorts of places, I found it really hard to, um, to, to find the depots that would actually fill up the gas bottles. So that wasn't going to deter us. We just uh, pulled out the camping gas, you know, camping one, and uh, cooked one-pot meals on that. <laughs> I mean, at this at this last stage, there wasn't wasn't anything really that was going to deter me from uh, from getting finish line. 
so uh, so yeah, we were um, <laughs> we were cooking our little one pot meals, and uh, and it wasn't exactly uh, luxury cooking, but uh, yeah, yeah, we kept us fed. Um, okay, so yeah, leaving Rio Camarinas, I think when did we leave? I guess the twelfth uh, of um, about the twelfth. 12th of August, so we still had, I think it was about uh, two weeks we had to get to uh, to Plymouth and to get to this uh, big meeting. And uh, we had a really uneventful crossing of uh, Biscay. The forecast was good, and in fact, we just had cyclonic winds. We left, I think, in a bit of a northerly, and um, it went round to, uh, to being an easterly for a bit, a southerly, then westerly back, and then northerly, and then back round to, um, I think, um, a southwest. The west southwest as we approached um approached the Sillies. So I got I think we got to the Sillies in about five days. because um, it's about it's about four hundred miles in it across Biscay. Um and so uh four, five hundred miles. So yeah, I think we got there in four or five days. Didn't take us long. Um but we had, you know, misery you know, we were starting to get from uh, from the nice and weather in the med up to the uh, up to the cool grey murk of uh, of UK weather, so we're back in wet weather gear and oilies and all that sort of thing. By the time we got to the Sillies, and um, but again, we, we 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 it was necessary to pull into the Sillies because we were we were pressed and uh, encouraged to again meet up with uh, another Warren Cat uh, owner in uh, in town who had a uh, I think about a 35 foot uh, Warren Cat, I call Pete Kine. And uh, very, very good, actually, because he, uh, he runs a shop in town, like a gift shop and that sort of thing. And their family is, is quite, um, quite historic in, in the Sillies because his father is, uh, is quite a renowned photographer. And, uh, you know, a lot of these communities and places have, have good historical uh, picture books. And over the years, uh, his father had taken all of these photos of you know, events, um, maritime disasters, boats washing up, uh, containers washing up ashore at, uh, in the Sillies. And uh, a lot of these uh, photos were, were that way inclined. And so they were very, um, very nice to, uh, to come on out in a boat and take, take uh, quite a lot of photos of Cookie, actually, so, as we were. Um, so what, ta- uh, what, we were... I- what island did you head to in the Skillies? We went to, uh, to St. Mary's. In the Sillies, yeah. There's one town is, there called Hugh Town. Is that where you head headed? Um, yeah, well, that's probably the main town. Yeah, some. Yeah, that's, yeah. It, everything yeah. else looks like it's fields, so that's about the only town there. <laughs> it pretty much, yeah. It's got a harbour on both sides, on mm-hmm. the sort of west side and the eastern side, and it's quite a small little sort of strip of land between the two. And um, yeah, they, they, the the main sort of harbour is on the uh, on the western side. So we pulled in there and um, I met up with Pete and his family and, uh, and cleared into customs. And that was on, let's have a look here, I think 18th of August. So that's when you're officially entered back into the UK then. That's it, yeah. Anchor down on British Sound, 2145 on the 18th of August. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I haven't looked back on this logbook for quite a few years, that's for sure. And... And yeah, so uh, so that no, that was uh, that was a, uh, a a lovely welcome from uh, from this from the um, the Kine family and uh, and also we we sailed in company with Pete um, because he was going off to this uh, meeting up uh, this Polynesian Cap meeting in Plymouth as well. So 
when we set off, uh, he did as well. So we kind of sailed in company for a little bit until we um, sort of lost sight of each other, going in different, uh, slightly different courses. Um, so again, we only spent about, uh, about a, I think, two nights there in the Sillies before uh, upping anchor and, uh, and heading over to, uh, to Foy in Cornwall and then around the corner to, uh, to Plymouth. And uh, by the time we got to Plymouth, I think it was the 23rd. Yeah, that's right, 23rd of August. For this big meeting, and it, and it was it was fantastic. Once I was there, it was a little bit sort of um, what's the word? Not daunting, but very very lovely, very surprising. Um, the uh, the organising committee of the PCA had organised a big event, a uh, big gathering, big big sort of outside barbecue to. Um, Basically, honour honour my circumnavigation and uh, welcome me back and and celebrate the success of it all. So um, so not only was I around and and uh, enjoying the company of other similar like-minded cat sailors, but um, you know they were they were toasting me and my success as I got back in. So it was quite a nice way to arrive back to the UK. So Plymouth used to be, I mean, that's a big maritime city. It was, I mean, it was where a lot of the well, the British Navy was headquartered in the in around Plymouth, weren't they? That's it. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's quite obviously quite historical because that's where the Mayflower set sail. You know, for the um, was it Boston? Um, you know, a lot of the pilgrims that uh, left to to colonize um, around the whole the, the whole Massachusetts sort of area up in the states uh, left from Plymouth um, at the time as well. So yeah, there's quite a lot of uh, a lot of history in the in in the Plymouth area that goes way back to um, Sir Walter Raleigh and Francis Drake and, and all of those uh, really old um, pioneer seafarers. They they had um, they had their sort of base there at Plymouth and took off from there as well. So yeah yeah, there's still a big naval base there to to this day. Now, which marina did you head into? And when you were arriving, did you have a uh... Uh, an escort fleet to bring you in, or did you sort of sneak in? Well, there, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd written to, interesting enough, in um, in Gibraltar, I'd, I'd written a little press release of my own, just sort of hand-wrote it out and then photocopied it and <laughs> sent it off to the magazines like Yachting World and Yachting Monthly and, and Cruising World and that sort of thing. And... Um, and seemed I got, I, I, it was sort of almost like banging my head against a brick wall. I got very little um, publicity um, from them and, and not much interest really at all. Um, so when I got back uh, to, the, to this meeting at the PCA, that was really sort of centered around them and, and around their, their organization. So there wasn't much fanfare going on there. But from, from Plymouth, it was an overnight sail just around the corner, not far to, um, to Dartmouth, which is officially my home port with cookie and uh, and so that's where i set sail to to officially end the voyage and that's where i met up with my mom and my family and that sort of thing and i'd given my mum a jew she uh, she called around all the local newspapers in in devon and dartmouth uh, and uh, in the sort of Torquay area and got them ramped up to uh, to make a bit of a splash so yeah i didn't really make it into the uh, to the mainstream um, national newspapers, but uh, I got uh, got on the front page of a couple of the local rags. <laughs> so, is that where you uh, where where you ended your voyage? Is that where you stopped and 
Kendall. That's it. That was it. That was Dart Dartmouth was the end of the road. Yeah, I um, the Dart Marina was uh, was very welcoming there. They um, you know, once my mum had got in touch with them, they were very happy for me to sort of come alongside. So they gave the um, they gave a little launch uh, for uh, for my mum and and a few friends and family to come out uh, and sort of welcome me in, in in the river and escort me in. And they gave up one of their pontoons, I think, near to the fuel dock to allow me to sort of come alongside and um, crack open a bottle of champagne and have all the well wishes and, um, come alongside and greet me, which is great. Um, and then they actually gave me, uh, I think, about a couple of weeks of, of free um, free mooring alongside while I figured out what I was going to do next. So they were they were fantastic and uh, very, very welcoming and very helpful. Um and uh, and so really it was sort of a bit bit of a shell shock of, of obviously having my home and being aboard for so long and getting back. Uh, it was a case of almost expectation to go and stay with my family, with my mum and my gran, who uh, who live fairly nearby, um, and uh, being whisked off the boat. So in some ways it was uh, quite a quite an abrupt uh, ending to it all uh, from that point of view. Um, not to say I wasn't quite ready to have a bit of a break from the sea, I think, at that point. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, it was quite abrupt, looking back on it. And um, and basically, from then on in, Brands, um, it was just a sort of matter of trying to sort of uh, adjust back to uh, to landlubber life and figure out. That's one of the big things, is once you do accomplish something that is so big in your life and has taken a number of years to to, to accomplish, um, it can obviously leave uh, quite a big void uh, within you, and you know the big question mark on so what's next, and uh, and I guess that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rory, I mean you're such a great storyteller. I'm inclined to come back and and continue on about how you readjusted to life and <laughs> and what you're doing now. And I mean we really haven't talked that much about you know, what you do and, and where you're at now. And, and, but I mm. would, uh, give, give us a summary of what you're doing now and, and how you're making your living and so forth. And do you have any plans and whatever it became a cookie is cookie still around? Yeah. Yeah. Cookie is, um, uh, in fact, I was working aboard cookie yesterday, just giving a fresh coat of paint, paint on her decks. No, she's definitely still part of the family for answer. Uh, she looked after me all those years, so you know it's in my um, it's in my sort of uh, level of care that I need to totally keep uh, keep her alive and well and uh, and going uh, as long as I can. So, where do you live? Um, Exmouth is home now um, in the UK. So that's uh, that's just about uh, it's about uh, what is it about um, 20, 20 miles from Dartmouth. Um, so not far from where I, uh, I I hailed from with Cookie originally. So we're kind of almost in the home waters uh, still. Um, no, when I when I finished on Cookie, there was a bit of a bit of a void. As I said, I wrote a few magazine articles and just sort of kicked kicked my heels a little bit. Did a bit of house painting for people, and I think for me at that point, my life could have taken two two distinct um, paths. I think I was definitely at age 27. I was ready to sort of find a, uh, a wife, if you like, uh, find somebody um, that I wanted to settle down with, or 
the other path was to carry on with the adventure and, and maybe springboard from the success that I'd had with Cookie to use it as a um, as a platform uh, and a display board to other potential sponsors to perhaps do something um, as as adventurous or more adventurous or uh, some other other big um, voyage and big plans. So there was two distinct, I guess, opportunities there. And life has this lovely way of deciding for you at times. So I met Michelle um, a couple of months later, my wife. And um, very soon after we met, I got this job offer to go back out to New Zealand and uh, go work for a charter company out there. So so our lives have carried on a, a, an adventure together ever since. Okay. All right. Live happily yeah. ever after. Do you have children? Yeah, we've got two kids. They're now 16 and 17, and um, going through going through the exam process, and and that's one of the reasons we moved back to Belize because we 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 were out in New Zealand and Australia. Our son was born on Hamilton Island in Australia, which was um, quite the adventure. And uh, then we moved to the Caribbean with the company, and we worked um, in Saint Martin in Belize. And so our daughter was born in Saint Martin. Uh, back in 2000 and uh, so we lived for about uh, nine years in Belize um, and I was uh, you know working for this charter company that I quit and ran a dive shop uh, for a little while then we ran a day sale cat uh, with some business partners for a few years and then I got into marine surveying as well while I was out there so did a whole bunch of interesting things but then the kids were approaching secondary school or high school um Age and uh, we started to make a bit of a decision. You know, we'd need to be somewhere um, for them, so we decided to come back to the UK, which we kind of sometimes scratch our heads about. But um, you know, you do these things and you do them for a reason, and uh, it's been very good for the kids to have a solid education here and and get to know a lot of their family this side of the world. So uh, that's been a very good um, good time and. Probably in the next few years, we're we're not too far away from um, perhaps embarking on another sort of traveling adventure. Once the once the kids are sort of on on, on the road to their uh, their futures as well. All right. So I'm looking at this marina in Exmouth. Is your is your boat in that uh, that marina inside that canal that comes in? Yeah. There's a tiny little um sort of small little dock. In fact, that's um, that's a marina now that's been converted and used to be a working dock they used to have sort of big, small freighters come in there and offload uh, things like um, grain and, and and that sort of thing and silos um, but that was all torn down in the 80s and now it's all full of um, these uh, condominiums and marina spaces and that sort of thing so so little old cookie isn't swank enough to be in a place like that. And my pockets, <laughs> my pockets aren't deep enough for that, Franz. No, if you if you look at your Google Map, about two miles up river, okay, uh, and on and on the eastern shore, so the right hand shore, when you're sort of heading up, you'll find a little little town or little village actually called Limpstone. Oh, they okay. There we go. We're zooming in here. Ah, there's okay. a little marina there too. There's a tiny little harbour there and a slipway and that sort of thing. That's where we're members of a sailing club in Lipstone. And uh, we have uh, we have Cookie. We've got a laser laser dinghy and kayaks and paddle boards and windsurfers and all that kind of uh, fun stuff to get out on the river. All so, right. yeah, I, I see a catamaran on the uh, north 
northeast corner of that up on shore. Is that that's probably Cookie there? And, and you're looking on Google Earth, yeah, are you right now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it probably it probably is Cookie actually. Yeah, that's her winter berth is is in that <laughs> inner harbor, and then uh, next week when all the boats get launched, um, I'll be taking Cookie out onto a mud mooring, which is just at you know a few about a hundred yards off from the shore onto the mud flats there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's great. Oh, actually, you know, this imagery date is uh, August fourteenth, two thousand sixteen, and then I'm looking out on the mud flats, and I see a catamaran moored out on the mud flats. I bet that's the one right there. Oh, that that'll be it there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stuff. All right, then, Franz. And how about yourself? Are you heading back to the Med uh, anytime soon to get a float? Yeah, I'm heading over on um, on. Um, July 15th and I'll be mm-hmm. over there for a couple months and I'm going to be moving the boat from uh, Bodrum, Turkey uh, through Greece and uh, up to Montenegro and, and I'll winter it in Dubrovnik. Have I, you been uh, up there? I, I wintered in Dubrovnik about three years uh, several years ago. You know, I'll extend an invitation to you. I got a week open where Neil Fletcher uh, one of my crewmates, who's a Brit, who I sailed with in Stockholm uh, last mm-hmm. year, he's joining me for a week. If you want to join us for a week, I'll tell you the the dates. You can put it on your calendar and get back to me and let me know if it's something you'd want to do. Here we go. So Neil Neil joins me on July 31st uh, on the uh-huh. island of Patmos. And we'll mm-hmm. sail over to uh, Tinos, and that's uh, he gets off on August uh, August fourth. So he's got uh, five days on board. So if you want to come over and join me during that period of time, that'd make a threesome on my boat, and that's a comfortable number, and that'd be fun. Okay. All right, and Franz, so I'll get back to you on that one for sure. Yeah, um, I'll see what see what the dates are coming up. I know I've got. Um, got a few things going on this uh this uh, summer i know um there's a there's another warren get together and uh, warrens themselves are actually putting together a a hui as they call it in in polynesian speak is a, is a gathering and um they're trying to get a gathering but that's a bit earlier in um in june so so that shouldn't clash with that well so, look yeah at I'll, it. I'll check the look diary at and uh yeah you'd be it'd yeah. be great to have you on board i mean yeah, Neil's a great guy, and it'd be fun to have. We'll do a couple podcasts on the boat if you're on there. <laughs> we'll just do. We'll sit around the cockpit and talk about stuff. That could be dangerous. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear! All right, then, Franz, that's great. Thanks, Rory. I really appreciate all the time you spent with me, and I hope to see you this summer. Get back to me as soon as you can, and let me know if that works for you. Okay, mate. Absolutely. Well, we'll keep in touch anyhow. Okay. Okay. Talk to you later, Rory. I want to make an announcement about a service that I'm going to be offering those who think it might be useful to have a consultation if you're planning on sailing in Greece or Turkey. I've decided to offer one-half and one-hour consultations on helping you plan out where you might want to visit when you're visiting these countries and doing a bareboat charter. Now, this is going to be one-on-one or one-on-two. In other words, we can do it uh, as a conference call on Skype if you'd like. And it's going to be basically by you emailing me and saying you'd like to have a consultation. And we'll set up a schedule 
and do it. Now there'll be a charge for it for a half hour session. There'll be a $75 charge and for a one hour consultation, it'll be $125. Remember I've sailed in these countries for <laughs> over 15 years. There are a few islands in Greece that I have not been to, but there's not very many inhabited islands in Greece that I haven't visited. And I'm always more than willing to say, hey, I don't know anything about this particular island, if it's one of the islands that I haven't been to. But over the last 15 years, 10, 15 years of sailing in Greece and Turkey, uh, I've hit most of them. So if that is of interest to you, uh, write me in in the subject line, put in consultation, write me at franz1 at medsailor.com. All right. Thank you for listening. If you like the podcast... Give it a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions, thoughts, comments, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.